This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Open lines this hour. Ask me anything. And Rosemary Ellen Guiley, paranormal investigator, lecturer, best-selling author, she'll be here in hour two for our regular monthly paranormal news roundup. And in the second half of hour two with Rosemary, we'll talk about a form of divination to contact the dearly departed called black mirror scrying. That's all coming up. But as I say right now, open lines and the numbers to get in on the conversation in the in the uh, greater Toronto area. 416-360-0740. and toll free from just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. And I'm also extending an invitation to those of you in our live stream chat tonight to submit questions this hour. We are live streaming on our YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Uh, Before that, let me extend my sincere thanks once again to our Star Chamber supporters, Kirk Schammel, or Scammel. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Kirk, down in um, Arizona, Brad Robinson, and Denny Bladell, or Blaisdell. I believe it's Denny Bladell. Your uh, support is absolutely tremendous. I can't thank you enough. Uh, And from everyone here on The Conspiracy Show and Strange Planet Productions, Kirk, Brad, and Denny in our Star Chamber uh, tier at Patreon.com. Thank you so much. Also, it's uh, time for our monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. And this month's winner of, can we hold that up there? Can we see that? Strange Planet Volume 2. That's a collection of my weekly radio uh, feature. And uh, the winner is Wooly. Just goes by the, num- the name Wooly, just like Cher, Sting, one name. Wooly's in Washington State. Congrats, Wooly. We'll send that out to you in the mail first thing tomorrow. 
To become eligible for the monthly draw for Strange Planet merch, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet, and become a monthly supporter. All right, this hour open lines, those numbers again, 416 360 0740. And toll-free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. Ian Robertson back in a studio in Liberty Village will be your concierge. He will take your calls. And uh, we've opened those lines to you now. So to get this rolling, let me throw out a couple of things. Well, it's really one thing uh, that involves a number of related issues, but it really relates to the culture war in which we are now engaged and it is quickly becoming if it ha- if it had if it has all not already uh, become a non-shooting civil war let me stress it's a non-shooting civil war and i pray it remains non-violent and doesn't degenerate any further but make no mistake uh, we are on the cusp of civil war again in terms of the culture war and i had a a caller i don't want to be over overly dramatic here but I think it's time to be honest with ourselves. Now, I had a caller on Coast to Coast this past Friday during open lines. She was actually calling from Thornhill. Well-intended, I'm sure. She seemed like a very pleasant lady. And uh, I'm only pointing her out because this is how I'm getting into the conversation. I'm not implying that she was being militant in any way. But she started proselytizing about the virtues of a vegan lifestyle, which is fine. And how eating meat was wrong and how it's destroying the planet. Now, I'm a meat eater, unabashedly so. I think eating red meat in moderation is healthy. And I've made that decision for myself. I need meat. I like meat. I like the taste of it. I don't apologize for eating meat. I don't intend to stop eating meat. And uh, and I've tried. I've tried during Lent uh, to abstain from eating meat. 40 days without meat. That's a tall order for me. I actually did it once. I did it for maybe a week and I did not feel right. I was about a week in and I was in a fog. Uh, I was getting headaches. So, you know, again, I'm all about live and let live and I would never try and force my dietary choices on anyone, my lifestyle choices. And most vegetarians and vegans I know don't try and force theirs on me. It's the militant ones I, I find objectionable. And again, I'm not saying Uh, The caller on coast from Thornhill was being militant, but she was insistent. Now, here's the problem. We now have socialists. I'd go further and call them avowed Marxists, like this new star of the uh, Democratic Party, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, fast becoming a Republican Party secret weapon, although I don't think she realizes it yet. But she's unveiled her new Green Deal. And everyone on the left in her party is jumping on board because if you're not with AOC, you're against her. And, you know, the mood is such right now that you have to be with AOC if you're on the left. If you're not aligned with her, then you're a mem- you're, you're part of the elite. That's just the way it's breaking out. And when it was unveiled, this new Green Deal, it included proposals to ban meat. Can you imagine? Under the force of... Oh, coercion is what we're talking about. But it went further. That's just the uh, the tip of the spear. It included proposals to ban flying. It wants to get rid of fossil fuel or at least 
achieve what they call a carbon neutral economy within 10 years. It sounds wonderful, that part of it. I'm all about free energy. If it's out there, we haven't seen it yet. And until we see it, until whoever, ha whoever has it decides to give it to the rest of us, we are reliant on fossil fuels. Fossil fuels are here for the long term. I say long term, I'm talking about the next probably 25 years. People are not buying electric vehicles. What are you going to do? Are you going to force them? She's proposed guaranteeing free education, free health care, and a guaranteed, get this, a guaranteed income for everyone who can't work or is not willing to work. Now, once this was revealed and the backlash came from ordinary, normal, rational people, including liberals, because most liberals are, I'm not talking about liberals here, I'm talking about the radical left. It's an important distinction. When they realized, or when she had realized, and her minions had realized they'd gone way too far, way overboard. This was crazy delusional stuff. She got way out over her skis. Then she claimed, her minions claimed, they, oh, we never proposed things like banning meat and banning flying. That was just something, well, first they lied. They said, no, 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 that's not true. We never, we never ever proposed that because immediately they took that document offline. But of course, in the age of the internet, nothing can be deleted entirely. Someone grabbed a screenshot, it was presented to them. Aha, here's the proof. And then of course they changed their tune. Well, that was just a rough draft. It was never intended. It was posted by accident, sure. But you see, they will lie to your face. They will say anything to achieve their agenda. It's a radical Marxist agenda we're talking about here. And unfortunately, it does appeal to millennials in the United States in particular. Have you seen the latest polls? Somewhere between 43 and 53 percent, depending on the poll. 43 and 53 percent of millennials in the United States now say they would prefer to live in a socialist or communist country. Can you imagine we would ever arrive at this, this, this place in time? So when someone from the radical left, not ordinary liberals of good conscience, I'm talking the radical left that has hijacked the Democratic Party, that is quickly hijacking the Liberal Party here in Canada, they're all about pushing boundaries, floating Really, really radical ideas that seem and are absurd on the face of it. But they repeat them enough and they push and they push. And we negotiate and we give them just a little bit. And then they come out again and they push a little bit further and push. It's, the process is called gradualism. And they'll tell you it's only a proposal. Don't believe them. Because their backroom credo, their playbook is by any means necessary. Lie if you have to. Tell them one thing and do another. Because, because at the root of it, they have contempt for the voter. They have contempt for citizens. We're stupid. We're deplorable. We don't know what's good for us. 
But they do, of course. Now, the problem is, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is very endearing. She's young and she's charming. And she has a wonderful story. Working her way up. Started out as a bartender. I think that's inspirational. She sounds well-intentioned, but make no mistake, she and her ilk would love to ban flying. They would love to ban meat. They'd love to ban personal automobiles. They hate cars. They hate private property. They hate Western civilization. They hate liberal democracy. They hate classical liberalism. They hate the West. That is what we're up against. It starts out with a proposal. Maybe we should think about banning meat. But this is the end game. This is what it's all about. Just thought I'd get that off my chest and throw that out there. However, it is open lines. You can ask me anything. Let's start off with uh, Kevin in Etobicoke. Hey, Kevin, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good, Richard. I'm kind of frightened after just listening to what you said. That's very disturbing. Well, for, forewarned, forearmed, as they say. This is what we're up against. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, I phoned in a few years ago, talked to you about, I told you a story about the uh, the fortune teller who foresaw her own death, if you remember. That does sound uh, familiar, yes. Yeah, well, that was a lot of years ago now. But um, I had a couple questions for you, if I could. Uh, they both concern the European Union. And one is, uh, we used to hear all the time about uh, Greece is on the brink of economic collapse, Italy is about to collapse, Portugal is collapsing, and I don't think we hear that anymore. Uh, Do you know why? Well, um, when it comes to Greece, I think they continue to sort of paper over the problem. Now, as far as I know, the, uh, the emergency bailouts have stopped. Uh, the the ex- the extreme uh, measures that Greece has taken, physical uh, fiscal me- measures, uh, cutting back on pensions, which has done tremendous, uh, has caused tremendous uh, um, pain. Uh, I think they're sort of working in in the short term. Uh, Greece has slowly sort of started to climb out of this economic morass that has really gripped the country for the last what decade and a half, twenty years. Of course, they never should have been allowed into the EU, and we now understand how that happened. little uh, chicanery and uh, cooking the books and so forth, uh, because in order to qualify to get into the EU, your uh, GDP to debt ratio had to be at a certain level. Theirs was not. Uh, so, you know, they hired some people. They they fiddled with, they, they fudged the numbers, in other words. Uh, so there was, there was clearly uh, some fraud happening there, but they got into the EU. Uh, so it seems like Greece is is sort of back on their feet. Look, they're a little wobbly on their pins. However, um, yeah, you're right. We don't hear a lot about that. I, I haven't heard the latest from Portugal. Uh, Italy's Italy's debt to GDP is is absolutely unsustainable. I mean, it's it's careening out of control. Has been out of control. Uh, they have a populist government. Which is kind of a an unlikely, um, an unlikely duo of the uh, of the Northern League, uh, which is sort of a uh, an ultra conservative uh, party, and then you've got Five Star, which is a uh, sort of left of center, very left of center, sort of strange bedmates. But at the moment, they seem to be making it work. Are they going to be pushing uh, for? Um, uh, what do they call the the uh, the Italian version of Brexit? I'm not sure. Um, oh, I forget. 
Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. So you're right. We haven't heard right now. The EU has its hands f- f- uh, full with with Britain. And uh, when is that deadline for uh, for Brexit? Is it March 25th? Well, that was uh, my other question. I was going to ask if you think Brexit will ever happen. <laughs> you know, um, I think it will. The question is, I think it has to. I think if they were to, I don't even think they, I think it's too late now to reverse course and try another referendum. The question is, how messy is this breakup going to be? And will Britain have any sort of deal in place? Of course, the EU is using these tremendous scare tactics that if there's no deal, they will be, they will have virtually no trade with Europe, which is nonsense. There will be trade. Um, I, I, I think I think it'll be very challenging for Great Britain in, in the short term, but they can certainly reach out and and have very strong bilateral trade agreements, trade agreements with the United States, uh, with Canada, uh, with other Commonwealth countries. I think they will. Be, there will be some short-term pain and some uncertainty. The markets won't like it in the beginning, uh, but uh, it's going to happen. Uh, how how messy it gets. Well, I mean, it's been pretty messy so far, just getting from that original vote to leave the EU to now. Uh, and that's going to intensify as we, we lead up to the actual D-Day. Uh, but yes, it's going to happen. Um, as for Greece, Italy, Portugal, I don't know. I think I think the EU will, what's going to happen is in it'll happen in stages. It'll break off. There'll be regional EUs. There'll be a northern EU, EU maybe a central and a southern EU. Uh, And then gradually they'll break off. I I see it sort of unfolding and unwinding slowly. Others um, see this sort of crumbling down very quickly. Whatever the tipping point is, it's going to collapse like the, uh, you know, like the Eastern Bloc and the Berlin Wall. So, but if I had to, if I was a betting man, I would say it's going to be the uh, the latter. It's going to be a slow unwinding, but the EU will eventually crumble. You cannot have... Uh, the uh, the drachma, the Greek drachma, uh, under the same currency umbrella as the the Deutschmark. It just it's it's un it's unsustainable. I hope that answered your question. Thanks a lot, Richard. My appreciate I appreciate it. Thank you. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty and toll free from out of town one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Just checking the uh, the YouTube channel. The YouTube live stream. I'd like to hear Richard's thoughts on the mass immigration in Canada from Pete. Well, obviously, I have to preface uh, my comments by saying the obvious. We are a nation of immigrants. I support immigration, sustainable levels of immigration. Uh, but if we're talking about mass migration of the the illegal sort, then obviously I'm un, I'm not in favor of that. Uh, the problem is. We've signed on to this UN accord on on um, on mass migration, and they want to muddy the water. They want to muddy the terms. So there's no such thing as an illegal illegal immigrant now. It's an undocumented worker. I'm sorry, I don't play those word games. An undocumented worker is an illegal immigrant, and I am opposed to illegal immigration. Uh, obviously, I mean, we don't have the same situation here in Canada as they do in the United States with their porous southern border. But uh, we do have uh, people coming from the United States uh, who were illegal there. They are seeking refuge here. 
And, uh, you know, they're being put up in hotels and so forth on our dime. And it's just not right. And it can't be allowed to happen. Unfortunately, uh, the political climate is such that you're not even allowed to talk about it. And uh, part of this new uh, UN migration accord is, uh, to me, it's it smacks of re-education camps. So journalists are going to learn the new vernacular, the new language. And part of that is we don't use the term illegal anymore. Uh, so this whole, I mean, it used to be a very radical concept. Uh, and there was, there was this group called No One Is Illegal. And, uh, and now it's becoming mainstream. Well, I'm sorry, but I believe in, I'm not sorry, I believe in the nation state. And they've tried to co-opt the term nationalist. The nationalist now, that's a dirty word. Well, it has been used by certain individuals in a very odious manner who had, uh, obviously, malevolent intentions, Adolf Hitler and so forth. But that was Hitler. That was then. I'm not talking about that kind of nationalism. I'm talking about in a fervent support in the nation state. And I am a nationalist. I don't care what anyone says. You're not going to take that word away from me. I'm a nationalist. I believe in the nation state. I believe in borders. I believe in the rule of law because it is the rule of law that keeps us free, not democracy. That's part of it. But it is the rule of law. And one of the most important rules of law has to do with the border. You have to establish a border and you have to enforce that border because that is an expression of the nation state. I'm not a one worlder. I'm not a globalist. I'm not a citizen of the world. I'm a citizen of Canada. So those are my thoughts on uh, mass immigration. Legal immigration, yes, in sustainable numbers. Immigration must serve the needs of the citizenry. It is an extension of economic policy. It's not a, a feel good measure. All right, we'll uh, take a quick time out, come back. More open lines. Richard in, or in Indianapolis uh, when we come back, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serra. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416 360 0740 or toll free 1 866 740 4740. Hey, welcome back. Just checking the uh, questions coming in on the live stream chat. Uh, Ralph F. asks uh, Richard, how many aliens, how many space aliens do you think you're on? Who? How many space aliens do you think? are on earth now i guess that was related to the illegal immigrant question but now uh, he's talking space aliens uh zero how's that zero let's go back to uh, let's see we have is it richard in indianapolis yes it's richard. hi richard How are you? hey good welcome aboard 
Thank you. Uh, I had heard uh, somebody comment this last week, and I don't know if they were being facetious or what, but um, Alexandria Cortez's New Green Deal would seek to uh, mandate changes to farming to limit bovine flatulence, which is considered a greenhouse gas. And um, it's only points no, out I don't think... flaw in her argument that if we ate more cows, we'd have less to uh, be concerned about with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I, I haven't seen that particular wording. I haven't read the entire document. The, the, the one that jumped out at me was, you know, banning meat. So, uh-huh. and she's linking it, obviously, to, you know, to this canard about, uh, you know, methane and climate change and so forth. So that wouldn't surprise me. But, right. you know, can you imagine? And her, her timetable is, of course, because we only have 12 years left. This is our World War II. Her timetable is that in 10 years, no more fossil fuel. That's a death sentence. That's a death sentence. Can you imagine in the Midwest this past, or right now, these last few weeks at minus 50, no heating, uh, no heat, no natural gas. And she's also saying we're not going to solve the problem using nuclear. Right. So I guess some free energy device is supposed to drop out of the sky within the next 10 years. (laughs) Yes, sir. I'm a, I'm a truck driver here, and um, I, I go through probably a 1,000 gallons of diesel fuel a week. I could not imagine an alternative to that. I mean, some trucks are running on natural gas now, but you take away those two, we've got nothing. Well, th- we just haven't found anything that packs the punch uh, of, of fossil fuel. And listen, I'm I'm not saying you know that there isn't the potential for a, some free energy device. And I know there are a lot of people that listen to this program that think that it's already out there and it's being suppressed. And I'm saying, fine, if it's there, then bring it on. Uh, but until that time, we are we have hitched our star to that wagon, and fossil fuel. I mean, there's a a, a great book out there called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuel. I've tried to get the author on, but he's a very busy man. And his name, of course, escapes me right now in the heat of battle. But, uh, you know, fossil fuel saves lives. Think about, you know, all of the, the, uh, the, uh, the inclement weather and how many people would freeze to death, you know, if we didn't have heating oil. Think about how many people would, uh, you know, succumb to extreme, uh, extreme heat without things like air conditioning. And, and many people do uh, because they don't have access to fossil fuel, cheap, affordable, like coal, that's that's being denied to the developing world. They needed an industrial revolution in Africa. Um, let's give it to them. Let's allow them to have it. Let's help them have that. Uh, but no, we can't because coal is, you know, is verboten, which is, uh, it's a death sentence, quite frankly. Yes, and I don't think it's any coincidence either that so strong against the, the, now that we've become an exporter rather than an importer. Yes, we have this, well, here in Canada, we have this this wonderful birthright. We, you know, we have more, I think we have four times, four times, I might be wrong, I think it's something like on the order of four times the, natu- the oil reserves the United States has. And you are now a net exporter for the first time in what, 70 years? You're now a net exporter of oil? We have four times your reserves, but we, we're still getting our oil, half the country, from Saudi Arabia. It's a national disgrace. Are we a country or are we not a country? That's right. Richard, okay, safe well, driving. Okay, that's all I had. Uh, I'm going to go out and eat a cow for the sake of the environment. God bless you. <laughs> all right, Richard, safe travels in Indianapolis.
Uh, Melanie is in Toronto. Melanie, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Welcome, and a Happy New Year again to everybody, to all our friends in the United States and Canada. Um, Coming from Eastern Europe, I can tell you that uh, if... Uh, this Brexit deal does go through, and if they alienate the poor socialist countries of Europe, I have a sneaky suspicion that Putin is going to jump on the bandwagon, and he's going to say, you know what, we're going to give you an alliance, we've got lots of oil, we've got a lot of things that you need, we need, why don't we be friends, you know, friendship, you know, Uh, that's the style of the old Soviet Union, that's the style of the foxes in, uh, in Russia, so I truly believe that Putin is going to try to form an alliance with the countries that are going to be left out, like especially Greece, uh, France, Portugal, etc., etc. Because so, uh, just so I understand, Melanie, are you saying that you you're fearful of Brexit because it's playing into the hands of Putin? I'm not quite sure. Absolutely, that's the way I'm seeing it. I'm old enough to know, and being brought up in the old uh, Eastern system, this is how I see it. Because you see, China is swallowing up a lot of parts of Africa and and building things and giving them uh, things they've never had before. So Putin is going to jump on the bandwagon and say, "Look, we've got love cheap oil, you know." And the way that they're going to punish them once they get them into his once he gets them into his clutches is what he's doing to Ukraine. He's uh, you know, bypassing everything. He's trying to strangle Ukraine. And he's, he's, he's going to do the same thing to the European countries. And uh, Well, first of all, though, keep in mind, Melanie, that, that uh, Russia is already selling its oil and its natural gas to, to the EU, to the EU, Germany in particular. You're right. That's right, Germany so, especially. So whether the EU breaks up or not, I mean, uh, he, he's... Listen, I, I think that he's going to do what he's going to do. Well, he's but going to recover. That, that, yeah, going but to recover let's, 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 really... let's, put his, the, let's put the threat of Russia in perspective. Mm-hmm. Russia has the GDP of, of a, the state of Texas, all right? It's a minor player. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the real adversary long-term, not even that long-term, is China. Mm-hmm. And yes, China is, you're right, they're gobbling up, uh, you know, huge tracts of land in Africa. They're, they're buying up uh, uh, rare earth. The and rare they're earths building, and they're so building forth. infrastructure there also, Absolutely which are. is what uh, I think that this is how they're going to, this is how Putin is going to really influence the uh, rest of Europe into his direction. And uh, I think he's going to keep a stranglehold on his own people. And uh, this is the way the cunning fox works. So this is my fear that by voting for Brexit, we, we, we might even see Ireland, you know, following Putin's uh, advice and saying, oh, you want to be our brother yes bratstvo you know comrade yes we'll help you this is this is their style well i don't think it's an either or proposition i think you can still aspire to having control of your own fiscal policy your own monetary policy your own borders uh and and still you know resist the clutches of uh, the evil russian empire well, i, I agree the- i think you need to be mindful of that what you're saying melanie i think yes but but Greece is in the EU, and they already have a close trade relationship with Putin. They're and very they're also, cozy. They're also Orthodox Christians, which the Russians yes. are. But you see, yes. the whole thing with the Russian people is, yes, they, they have a good heart, they have a big heart, but they've suffered so much humiliation in, in the last uh, maybe even 100 years that the thing that you have to remember is that Eastern Europeans, they need their pride, whether they're Russians or Ukrainians or Belarus, white Russians or 
whoever, their their sense of pride has been totally destroyed. Whereas America has, ha- has had too much pride, and now it's destroying its pride with with the uh, extreme leftists. Well, no, I agree with you. There was an opportunity. There was a window there after the fall of the Berlin Wall. There were promises made to Putin that NATO would not encroach one millimeter towards Moscow. Uh, Instead of honoring that and trying to reach out to Russia, they could have been a partner at one point. But that ship has passed. Oh, no, no. You're right. We we stuck the bear. Yeah, but you're forgetting one thing. Ukraine gave up its nuclear weapons uh, because America wanted it that way, and so did Europe. And they said, yes, we'll come to your help. We'll protect you if Russia should try to take over. Well, Russia took over the Crimea, and America and the West wasn't there. So why did Ukraine give up its nuclear weapons? Why should Northern Korea give up its weapons? It's saying, look, you promised to defend Ukraine, and you haven't defended Ukraine. You've You've told them, get rid of your nuclear weapons, we'll protect you. The same as when the when uh, the Germans attacked Poland, England had signed that we're going to protect Poland. They never protected Poland. The Germans marched right in. No, you're true. That 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 you're absolutely right. That appeasement uh, on on the part of the British and the French at that point and the United States um, allowed you know gave Hitler free reign and he become brazen and uh, first you know it was the Saarland and then the Rhine and then Rhineland and then the yeah. Sudetenland and nobody said anything. No, and my uncle uh, was one of the first people that in Poland uh, when they attacked the post office, my who's passed away, God rest his soul. He was one of the defenders in Poland. My other family was in Ukraine. I have family all over Eastern Europe. But I'll tell you something: America has not kept its promise to Ukraine, and this is why North Korea will not get rid of its weapons because they're saying to America. Look, look, you didn't come to the aid of Ukraine. They gave up their nuclear weapons. You think we're stupid? We're going to give it up? Absolutely not. And the reason we have all these leftists in America now is because America has never kept its promises to, the, to its allies and to people who stood up for it. We had thousands after the Second World War. We had thousands of uh, Eastern Europeans who committed suicide because America wouldn't allow them to, to come into the country, just like with Canada well, with I, the Jews. Okay, but Melanie, I, I would disagree with you. That's not, that's not why the, the – le- the, you know, that's not – why we have the rise of the left, in my estimation. It has nothing to do with the perception of allies and so forth. Well, uh, we we have, this is, this is this is indoctrination. It starts in the schools. We now have millennials who want to live in a socialist country. Uh, you know, if they want to take a tour of Venezuela, be my guest. No, it, this is, uh, this is a cancer. I'm talking, again, I want to be very ironclad here. I'm not talking about liberals. Thank you for the call, Melanie. I want to get some others in here. I'm not talking about liberals. The liberals are not the problem. We can work with liberals. We have, you know, political differences, but we debate, we argue, and we come up with compromises. There are, there are allies. I am talking about a different breed entirely. The radical left, uh, which are, in, in fact, Marxists, uh, and uh, they are an existential threat. They're policies. Their policies are an existential threat to Western civilization, and that's what we have to stand up against. All right, let's see. Um, Do we have another YouTube question? Someone was asking me about illegal aliens, or sorry, space aliens. I, I said none, and the reason is that I have a very different view of the ET issue. Uh, I, I don't believe we're talking about extraterrestrials. I think we're talking about interdimensionals, and the only thing that makes sense to me as a Bible-believing Christian 
is that if there if there are if there is something some sentient being piloting these aircraft these uh, these UFOs they would likely be from the angelic realm or the demonic realm so i don't believe that there are extraterrestrials from from some other uh, distant constellation for example here on earth and i know that rubs uh, a lot of people in the ufo community uh, the wrong way and i've probably uh, you know cut myself off from some christmas card lists and so forth however you asked for my opinion and that's it no space aliens uh, here on earth all right uh, the other thing that we can talk about and i mentioned this on coast to coast and i believe we are uh, heading into a break here very soon uh, I talked about this is kind of a a departure from our hot and heavy conversation uh, there, but on uh, coast to coast, I mentioned recently I'd lost my wallet at the uh, public library. Uh, it disappeared. It was gone. It vanished, and then it was there again, in exactly the same place I had looked several times. So maybe when we come back, we can talk about uh, disappearing and reappearing objects. If you're good for that, let me know. 416-360-0740. Toll free from out of town. 1-866-740-4740. The truth will set you free. But first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Hey, welcome back. And uh, just a reminder, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, researcher, best-selling author, will join us at the top of the hour for the uh, full hour, the full second hour. She joins us the second Sunday every month. And uh, we have some fascinating uh, stories for our paranormal news roundup. And then in the uh, second half of hour two, uh, she'll talk about a method of divination called black mirror scrying, uh, which she's written extensively about as well. Rosemary Ellen Guiley coming up top of the hour. Right now, we continue on with open lines. And let me give you the numbers again. 416-360-0740. That's toll free. Uh, sorry, that's for the uh, Greater Toronto Area, 416-360-0740, toll-free from out of town, and good just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. Uh, Nicholas, on the, uh, the live stream chat, is asking me, uh, what are my thoughts on Patreon censorship? Uh, well, <laughs> it's coming. Uh, I mean, it's arrived for certain individuals. Uh, it may come my way as well. I may be directly affected. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, it is disturbing this this trend. What 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 they have done in social media, in in politics, is they have criminalized political differences. I was talking earlier about our liberal friends and. Uh, how we can how we work with liberals conservatives and liberals work together and we discuss 
and we form consensus. But now we have a new entity, this radical left, and, and what, they, what they are trying to do is to criminalize differences of opinion. And we're seeing this now in social media, uh, where if you have the wrong opinion, you're banned. But it's worse. One could argue, well, it's a privately run company. They have that right. It's a club. And if you don't follow their rules, then you're out. But now, as we move more and more towards a cashless society and people are becoming dependent on things like PayPal and Patreon as a revenue stream, and they are being denied because of their wrong opinion. There are so many examples of people who are having a difficult time making a living. PayPal is the revenue stream. They're being cut off PayPal. Imagine, imagine if and when it comes to this, Visa or MasterCard or the or American Express says, we don't like your opinion. You can't use Visa anymore. Or the bank says, we don't like your opinion. You can't use the debit card anymore. Is this where we're headed? Really? Is this what we want? We're heading down that road. I shudder to think. Uh, Virginia is in Hamilton. Now, Virginia, before I get you on, because you want to talk about disappearing and reappearing items. And for those who missed uh, my Friday appearance on Coast to Coast. So I had this um, library book that was overdue and I had another one on hold at the library. So it's about five minutes from where I'm sitting. The old village library in Thornhill. It's haunted, by the way. And uh, so I drove over there, got out of the car and I always keep my wallet in my hip pocket. And uh, I know it's there because when I sit in the car, do you do this? You, you, <laughs> you sit in the car and it, and you get like hip displacement because of the wallet in the one side of your, your pant pocket. And I never I never think after 40 years of driving, take the wallet out and, and put it on the armrest or what have you. So it's always in my hip pocket. I go into the library, reach into my wallet or reach into my back pocket to get my library card because I want to pay a late fine and also – get this book that's on hold, the wallet's not in my pocket. Even though I had felt it on the drive over, I rush out back out to the car, look on the, on the, on the car seat, look on the passenger seat, look in the uh, armrest, look in the crevice between the, the seats, between the driver's side door and the seat. It's not there. I look on the road under the car. I retrace my steps. I go back to Food Basics where I was. It's not there. I go home. Now I'm in a bit of a panic running around the house, check my nightstand. I check every coat pocket in the hall closet, even the coats I haven't worn since the spring or the fall. It's not there. I go downstairs. I check this studio. I check my office. Not there. So I decide, okay, I'll go back to the library and look again. I go back out to the car, open the car door, and there is my wallet sitting on the front seat as conspicuous as can be. What's going on? Disappearing and reappearing objects. Virginia and Hamilton, hold on. I'll get to your call when we come back. Open lines right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Hey, welcome back. Just about to launch into a discussion on uh, disappearing and reappearing objects. Uh, All right, let's go to Virginia in Hamilton. Hey, Virginia. Hi, good evening, Richard. First of all, let me tell you, you're very, very right on the uh, insidious creep of uh, punishing people who think differently. It's there, and it is something to be quite alarmed about. I'm with you on that camp. It's it's chilling, actually. It's it's the, it's the new era of McCarthyism. Uh, it's worse than that. It's, it's Orwellian to the max. And um, putting that aside, though, when you were talking about... Uh, losing things and finding them. Strangely enough, uh, on my way home today, I've been traveling along the Niagara Escarpment and talking with people. We had a conversation about this very same subject, and it brings to mind the fact that my mother many years ago used to say, if you lost something, pray to St. Anthony. He's a patron saint of finding things. Yes. And that's yes. sort of a sort of a, a, what, a parochial kind of way of thinking, but back in 2007... When my, my sister died, um, the family went to the funeral, we went to the church, and my husband lost his keys. We took my mother, we didn't find out about that until I took my mother back to the uh, long-term care center where she was, couldn't find the keys anywhere. I had a second set of keys to drive us back. We went through the church, to the church, church was locked, walked all over the parking lot, everywhere. And he was desperate because they had a lot of important keys on that key ring. Sure. Got back to the wake and put my purse down, went to the telephone to see if just somehow, this is before a cell phone and all that, my, uh, before, you know, thinking my son may have picked up my bag or something and carried them back to the, uh, the house. And he said, no, the keys aren't here. And I thought, oh, God, what are we going to do? Turned around the corner, picked up my purse, and as I stand here breathing, those keys were on the top of my purse. Mm-hmm. Second, what is that all about, Virginia? I do not know. And I brought my husband over. We just stood and stared at them. And we just looked at each other. How could this be? Okay, we, we believe in things which are outside of our realm. There, there's no question. There is some interference and some good interference that comes from beyond when we need it. Fine. I accept that. Wonderful. I took those keys. My husband is now dead. But I took those keys. I gave them to my daughter. I said, listen, hold on to these keys. They've been somewhere. I don't know where they've been, but they've traveled. (laughs) So look after them. Um, 2007, uh, pardon me, 2009, after my husband died, I was about a month after that, I was coming home, and I had my hands filled with parcels, and my keys were in my hand. My keys dropped on the floor in in the foyer put the parcels down, put them in the kitchen, went back to look for my keys. They weren't there. I thought, no, come on, this is ridiculous. So I looked around and thought, maybe I kicked them here or I knocked them somewhere. No, I'm the only one in the house. What am I going to do? So I stood in the living room and I said, okay, you're playing with me. 
I don't know what's going on, but put my keys back. I need them. I don't care what you're going to do with them. I need my keys. And I was disturbed, yes, because, I mean, I thought, come on, where, where could they be? Uh, Sunday morning, I had to go into the office, a little room on the other side of the, uh, the house, and I opened up the drawer just beside the computer. Guess what I found? My keys. Your keys, yep. Don't ask me how they got there. There was nobody in the house that entire night to that morning, but there they were. So I took the keys and I thought, okay, fine. I looked up to heaven and I said, thank you. And this has happened. And there's been other incidences too, but not quite as dramatic as those two. So there is something at work. So when you talk about your wallet, oh, I, I just say, <laughs> yeah, right. It happens. Yeah, yeah. It just uh, In fact, I'm going to ask Rosemary when she comes on here in a few minutes. She has a name for it because uh, we, we've talked about this. I think she calls them a uh, a jute or a jot, and, and the the letters stand for just one of those things. Yeah. So I think it's, it's J O O T T. It, it's not bad. It's not evil. I don't think there's any. There's I don't know, but something happens like a, a wink or a blink in time, or something just goes. It appears uh, uh, very very briefly. I know you've got other people on the line, but one time I was making sandwiches for my kids going to school, and I had the butter dish on the side of me, and I was busy making sandwiches. I turned around to the table, got something set up, turned around, butter dish was gone. What the heck? <laughs> Did you ever find it again? Yeah, it was in the fridge. I didn't put it there. And I'm not a freak. I really am not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I would never suggest such a thing. I just, no, no, no. I You're said, among okay, friends. Okay, alright, fine. Play around with me all you want, but nevertheless. And the funny thing about it, the butter was soft when I was putting it on the bread. When I took it out of the fridge five minutes before, it was hard as a rock. Now, you figure that out. I cannot. Right, like it'd been in there for quite some time. Yeah, right. Amazing. Hey, Virginia, <laughs> thanks. Great stories. I appreciate it. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. I want to go back to the uh, the YouTube live chat. And thank you, all of uh, you who join me without fail every week. Now, uh, Jordan, Jordan wanted to know uh, about the federal election happening this fall in Canada. And he says, I got to know, is it Sheer or Maxime? He's asking me who I'm voting for. Uh, I can't divulge that. Uh, but you know my political stripes, so I think you can imagine. Uh, is Sheer up to it, though? That's the question. Uh, because let's face it, it's not going to be the uh, the People's Party of Canada. Uh, they're a, a burgeoning young party. They're uh, they're off on the right foot, but it's just not showing up in the, uh, the, in the polls at the moment. Uh, that could change. However... Um, I, I see their candidate out in uh, in British Columbia uh, was banned from one of the all candidates meeting. So uh, here we go. Talk about um, well, uh, just smacks of what I was talking about earlier. Not I'm not saying that, I'm not suggesting they're criminalizing uh, you know the PPC. I'm just saying you know that this type of censorship it's just it's it's odious. Uh, however, I'm I'm concerned. About, to say the least, another four years of the Liberal government. I don't know that we'll survive it. We probably will. Uh, but they'll just, if they get in, they'll they'll stumble along as they have been for the last four years and we'll all be the poorer for it. The question is, uh, is Andrew Scheer up to the job? I think he's a likable fellow. I just, I'm not sure that he has the, uh, what do you call it, the royal jelly? You know what I'm saying? However, they said that about Harper and he grew on us, didn't he? I mean, I, 
I, I miss him. Good Lord, do I miss him. Maybe Shear will be, maybe he's a sleeper. Maybe he'll be another Harper. I just, I, I don't think so. Um, he's just, maybe he's too nice. Maybe he's too nice. I do like, I do like Maxime, Maxime Bernier's, uh, Mad Max's um, uh, positions, his forthrightness, his willingness to speak uh, about things that, that um, no other politician will say out loud. They might think it, but they don't have the uh, the fortitude to say it out loud. And he will, and I think he's an important uh, person on the scene. And uh, and I hope I hope he does well, not at the cost of of uh, taking votes away from the conservatives. Because let's face it, they're our best hope of uh, Andrew Shear is all we've got. He's our best and only hope at the moment of um, of getting rid of uh, Trudeau and the Liberals. I don't know. To me, it just seems when the Liberals take power, they don't really have policy ideas they just feel that they have this this they are born to rule they have this right to be in power and they just occupy space and then they proceed to bumble and stumble from one calamity to a scandal to some you know bit of corruption to the next until it's time for the election is it me i mean love or hate our premier here in Ontario, Doug Ford, and I, I'm a big supporter, but he comes in with bold action and he gets things done and you may not agree with it, but he's delivering. He's got an agenda and he's taking them off the list. Where is that with the federal liberals? They came, they campaigned on electoral reform that lasted two weeks. Their big crowning achievement is legalizing marijuana. Really? Is that how you want to go down in the history books? All right. Uh, let's see. Maureen. Is it Maureen and Barry? Hi, Maureen. Hi. Hi. We're just about out of time, so you got to make it quick. Yeah, you have a disappearing quick. item. Uh, a disappearing we're talking item. about things disappearing and reappearing. And yes. Sylvia Brown has a term for it called apporting. A-P-P-O-R-T-I-N-G. Mm. That's right. Yes, the and late Sylvia Brown. And I've been through that yes. for years and years. And oh? well, the funniest thing was, like, my whole on my mother's side, all had ESP and abilities, but my mother wouldn't let me talk about it. Well, the funny thing was, like, you, her wallet disappeared one day, and she went through the whole apartment, stripped everything down, and I'm standing there and looking in that, and just uh, after she finished freaking out, just said, okay, bring it back. And she <laughs> went back, and there it is sitting right on her bed where she had started looking in the first place. There you go. My word. What is that all about, Maureen? I don't know. We'll discuss again sometime. Maybe I'll pick it up with Rosemary. On the other side, she is waiting in the wings. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Our Paranormal News Roundup next on The Conspiracy Show.
listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hi, y'all, to everyone listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in Toronto. And hello to all of you checking us out on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Hi to those of you still using the Conspiracy Show app. No longer available in the Apple Store or on Google Play. But if you have it, hold on to it because once you delete it, you won't get it back. Uh, If it still works, keep using it. I'm glad you're joining us. And, of course, those of you on the Zoomer radio app, which is a terrific app, a free download as well. And, uh, well, thanks for uh, all of you on YouTube watching us on the live stream, as well as those faithful assembled in the live stream chat room. God bless you. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, best-selling author, researcher, investigator in the paranormal, metaphysical, and related fields, including hauntings, psychic skills, and protection, afterlife studies and spirit communication, cryptids, alien contact, interdimensional aspects of our extraordinary experiences. She has now more than, I believe it's 70 books published on a wide range of topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference work. Her work is translated into 17 languages. She is president and owner of Visionary Living, Inc., a publishing and media production company that includes Visionary Living Publishing and its imprints. She is executive editor of Fate Magazine. Her latest titles include Fate Presents Mysteries of the Afterlife and Fate Presents Slips in Time and Space. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how do you have time to come on my show? How are you? I love being on your show, Richard. Um, we're, we're out in California for a while. We're just winding up uh, about a month-long trip. And we, in fact, we just got back from Las Vegas. We were out on a research and working weekend. We were able to take in Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum while we were there. So we got a little fun uh-huh. too. Fantastic! Yes, I saw that on Facebook. I've been follow. I've been uh, trolling you on Facebook, actually. Not, <laughs> but I've been following your exploits uh, all the way from New Orleans for Mardi Gras. All the way to uh, California. I love that picture. You were at a stoplight and you looked out the window. There was Jay Leno. I know. What a shock. And I just happened to have my cell phone in my hand. I was sitting in the back seat. We were uh, in an Uber uh, en route to our dinner on Sunset Boulevard, our, our restaurant. And Joe looked over and said, Oh my gosh, it's Jay Leno. And uh, I was able to get a quick snap in just as the light changed. So the back of his car is a little blurry because he's pulling away. And unfortunately, he zoomed ahead of us, so we were never able to get, uh, you know, right alongside of him. But uh, it's always fun, you know, when you're spotting celebrities in L.A., Absolutely. And uh, no mistaking that chin. Hart, yeah, he stands out, that's for sure, behind the wheel of one of his vintage automobiles. What does he has? Like, have? Uh, like 100 cars or something? It's quite a collection. Oh, my gosh, yes. And, uh, in fact, a friend of mine who, who lives out there sh- said that uh, she sees him driving around Burbank a lot. I guess he uh, keeps a lot of them in Burbank. And There you go. Um, 
Maybe I wanted to ask you hitting, oh. hitting back. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. We were. I wanted to ask you about uh, this story that, that I heard a couple of weeks ago, and of course, uh, it's near and dear to uh, my family. Of course, my children half Greek. My lovely bride is Greek, Greek Canadian, and that has to do with uh, Alexander the Great, of course, um, Macedonian, northern Greece, uh, who um, you know ruled most of the no- known world once upon a time, and now we're hearing. I had always thought that he had succumbed to malaria or something, and there are theories that maybe he was poisoned. But now we're hearing that he may have actually been in some sort of a state of paralysis and may have been alive for six days after death. In other words, he was buried alive. Tell me about this. It's an interesting theory, and uh, the the claims were made, uh, even in ancient times, that Alexander the Great did not decompose for uh, six days after his uh, death. Maybe we should say his alleged death. And so this theory, who was put forward by a researcher in New Zealand, uh, she says she spent six months researching this, that maybe what he died from was a neurological disorder, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, the Guillain-Barre syndrome. Right. And it causes the paralysis. And when uh, her, what, what her case is, is that uh, when he went into this paralysis, his breathing became so shallow it might not have even been noticeable, and people just thought he was dead. And it took him six days in that state to finally expire. Now, this theory has been put forward before. She's not the first one to do it. Uh, And it was um, kind of dismissed. And the thing is, Richard, I don't think we'll ever really know. Because, as you mentioned, there have been so many other theories as to what killed him. Now, he died in Babylon. Uh, He was marching into Babylon. He was actually told by Chaldean astrologers not to come into the city because it would be fatal to him. So he was forewarned of his own death. He did have to go through a swampy area, so maybe that makes the case for malaria. Um, But uh, there were also theories that he was poisoned with strychnine, uh, that he had uh, some other kind of infectious disease. Maybe it might have been acute pancreatitis brought on by too much alcohol. Uh, All kinds of theories which can never be proved. Of course, no, um, no, not without a body. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing, and I did some research on decomposition um, when I was uh, studying vampirism. And um, human bodies decompose differently, and it has to do a lot not only with your age, your physical condition, but what you died of. And that certain diseases, for example, might slow the decomposition process. So whatever he died of, it might have been something that just slowed that decomposition um, process. And Plutarch talked about him being embalmed by the Egyptians, but we don't know exactly when that happened. And Egyptians didn't embalm people right away, I don't think. Um, So it's a mystery, and it's a mystery I don't think we'll ever solve. But that's the latest theory in the mix. There you go. Well, that's my worst fear, and I know a lot of people would share that. It's not something that we have to worry about uh, as much today, uh, and that is, you know, being buried alive. Uh, but, you know, during Victor- the Victorian era, it, it happened. 
and and um, this sort of led to this whole idea of uh, the graveyard shift, where people would sit around in cemeteries, you know, listening to make sure no one was buried alive. They would listen for the screams of those recently buried. But can you imagine anything worse, Rosemary? I, I think it would be a person's one of a person's deepest fears, and sadly, it probably did happen to people that they came back to consciousness, finding themselves buried alive. And there was another practice too back then um, to have a bell on top of the ground yes. and a string going into the casket, and that hopefully, if someone did revive in that condition, they would be able to pull the bell. And that could be heard by one of the cemetery caretakers. You have to assume, however, that somebody's going to be around to hear that bell. You would hope. And and hence the term dead ringer. That's where that came from. (laughs) Dead ringer. You're absolutely right. Uh, And there are so many uh, conditions that can cause, um, you know, pseudo-death or pseudo-thanatosis, as it's called, uh, and, and in earlier times, they didn't have all the sophisticated measurements that we have now. Um, if it just appeared that a person had stopped breathing, they were often presumed dead. We don't know from uh, Alexander the Great's case uh, if his body was still warm. If Even if he had a neurological disorder that paralyzed him, his body would have still been warm. And so you would think that that might be a clue to people um, people examining individuals for signs of death, that uh, even if breath was not apparent, uh, the body wouldn't be uh, cold and and be turning blue. Right, right. Uh, On a related note, what about this poor woman, 62? uh, I believe, was this in Russia? She was uh, wrongly pronounced dead. Uh, She wakes up in the morgue. They discover that she's still alive, and then she dies of hypothermia such a sad story and she was a grandmother 62 years old Um, she was drinking with relatives at a party and um, she might have just passed out from too much alcohol and this might be another case of apparent lack of breathing people thought she was dead Um, a policeman is called and he certifies her as dead himself without a calling any medical authorities. So she's taken away to the morgue and lays there for a while, and then she revives. Um, now, they did try to resuscitate her, but she had uh, suffered so much uh, damage from uh, hypothermia from being in the morgue that she wound up passing away anyway, which is a very sad ending to um, a death that really didn't need to happen. No, it is now. This is something that 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 seems to be more common. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot in North America, but it's certainly in developing countries, the developing world, and once in a while in Europe, we we hear these stories. I would say almost. What, maybe once every three or four months, there seems to be one of these, uh, you know, people that have misdiagnosed, if you will, the ultimate misdiagnosis, waking up in a morgue. Uh, and again, you know, imagine now, not quite as dire circumstances waking up in a coffin six feet under, but that's got to be absolutely, you know, frightening. I mean, I wonder how many people actually wake up in a morgue and then die of a heart attack because they're so frightened well you know they do keep a a lot of the bodies in these uh like drawers 
uh, or body racks. And if you were placed on um, a, a rack and then shoved into to one of these drawers, it would be like waking up in a coffin. And I would think that that would be a very high risk that you would uh, your severe panic would throw you into something fatal like a heart attack. Right, right. Got to ask you about, uh, you know, you and I have talked about um, um, demonic possession many times over the years, but there seems to be a real uptick in the number of exorcisms going on, uh, in, and uh, even the current pope uh, is, is talking about, um, talking about uh, you know, the need for more exorcists in the Vatican. What do you think is going on here? I think there's a number of things going on, and some of it's fueled, at least in this country and in some other Western countries, um, fueled by um, the media and some of these paranormal reality shows that want to put a demonic emphasis on everything. Uh, So people start to get fearful that there's a lurking demonic danger and that somehow they could be at risk and that... Uh, any troubles that they have, any troubles, um, even with natural explanations, can then be projected onto demonic interference. And whenever you have unstable times, and there is a lot of social instability in our country, uh, in parts of the, of the Western world, and in many countries, that raises uh, fear in the population, and that fear does get projected onto a common devil, so to speak, literally. Uh, and so we find increases in uh, in cases like this. Interestingly, even though, um, and now the Catholic Church, I, I might add as an, as an aside, has gone up and down over history in its emphasis on exorcisms. They were hugely popular in the 1700s. Uh, somewhat in the 1600s, uh, during a time after the Reformation, when the Protestants and Catholics were battling for religious territory, uh, there was quite an emphasis on exorcisms and in terms of who can do it better, us or them, so to speak. Uh, and then when we get into the age of science and uh, enlightenment and the age of reason, uh, these were considered superstitious practices, and they were... Um, uh, suppressed, uh, and then they started coming back again in modern times. And uh, the media and s- some many psychologists will often lay the blame at that uh, at the feet of Hollywood in movies like The Exorcist. But interestingly, even though the Pope has called for more exorcists to meet the demand, literally, uh, it- it's not Catholics who are primarily having the problems. It's uh, it's other faiths that are. Well, once again, we're seeing like this competition with, with the Catholics for driving out the devil. And some of it comes from the fundamentalist Protestant and the Pentecostals, Charismatics, uh, who have um, rituals for driving out the devil. And from other parts of the world, like Latin America and Africa, where you've got um, things like Santeria, voodoo, tribal uh, practices, which also have a lot of rituals for driving away evil spirits, and the belief in evil spirits would be fairly high, uh, that um, they would be considered to be common uh, interference agents uh, in people's lives. So I think there are are all of these factors at play here, and 
uh, how long this trend is going to last remains to be seen. But certainly on the, in Western media, we have all of these paranormal reality shows which are emphasizing the demonic. And it's not just ghosts anymore. It's got to be evil spirits and demons that are plaguing places and people. And, and that encourages other people to think along those lines and then to project that onto their own issues. Sort of a mass hysteria? Um, it could. I think some of these cases are the result of mass hysteria. Um, where do we draw the line between an actual knowing how much of these uh, situations are due to um, an actual increase in demonic interference versus people's belief in an increase? In but you, be, you be, rare though they may be, do you believe that there are genuine cases of demonic possession? I do, and. I still think that they're in the minority. I think it does happen uh, in unusual cases where uh, the boundaries around a person, for whatever reason, are completely ruptured and um, they are preyed upon by evil spirits that start taking them over mentally and emotionally uh, and then physically. Um, in some cultures, this is believed to be kind of a common thing, that um, you could fall prey to evil spirits fairly easily. I don't think it's as prevalent as a lot of people would uh, might believe based upon their exposure to, to this in the media. Be that as, as it may, there is, uh, and has been now for some years, um, a, a demand for more exorcism services and the Catholic Church has not been able to meet that demand uh, among their own own followers. And uh, so there is an emphasis now on training more priests in exorcism. I, uh, I, ha I know a, uh, a Protestant pastor uh, who claims that his phone is ringing off the hook, that he, he just can't keep up with the number of, of cases. Now, he's not just exercising um, individuals. Primarily, he's going into homes and exercising them, and he maintains that there are no such things as as ghosts. If you have some sort of activity like that, it, it is demonic, full stop. What are your thoughts on that? I disagree. Uh, I think that... Um there are lots of haunted places that have just plain residual activity. It's non-interactive. It doesn't have an intelligent locus point to it. Uh, it's there as a psychic recording, and that's what you're most likely to find uh, when you have some activity in a place. When, when you have interactive spirits, um, it is, it is my opinion that, yes, a lot of them are tricksters or uh, they're uh, upset, um, you know, they're agents of upset, uh, and some of them seem to like to mess around with people. But, but the full-on demonic attack, which would be perceived from a Christian perspective as uh, some sort of agent of Satan... Um, out to destroy a person and that person's soul, uh, I think is is uh, still a case in the minority. All right, Rosemary. I, I we'll think that, 
Sorry, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, uh, people who are returning to uh, live in Chernobyl, the area uh, around that dangerous reactor, nuclear reactor. We'll also talk about celebrities who've had near-death experiences uh, and imagine spending 20 days in total isolation. We'll talk about that as well. Pitch darkness on a bet. 20 days. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Coming to you live from the little studio beneath the stairs here in Thornhill above Toronto. And uh, Ian Robertson back in Liberty Village behind the big audio board. Uh, My story producer, Albert, on assignment. And Ryan is um, producing the live stream from his lair. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us for the full hour. A little bit later, we'll talk about black mirror scrying, this form of divination. Right now, we're doing our monthly paranormal news roundup. And uh, I got to ask you about what's going on in um, in the in uh, Ukraine. Uh, Chernobyl, of course, that horrific um, uh, nuclear meltdown at the reactor there back in the mid 80s. And uh, now people are moving back into that area, even though, as far as I know, radiation levels are still uh, in the danger zone. What's going on there, Rosemary? It's a puzzling situation, and you wonder how people could voluntarily go back to such a contaminated area. That was in 1986, and it was probably the world's worst nuclear disaster in history. Um, Ten days. This damaged reactor for 10 days spewed out this high level of radiation into the countryside. And thousands of people uh, were um, contaminated. Uh, They died. Some of them died fairly quickly. Uh, Some of them died much later uh, as they stayed in the area and contracted various forms of cancer. Children died. Uh, a huge area around Chernobyl was literally quarantined and uh, left just as wreckage. And now people are creeping back in. Uh, and they're even growing crops and eating the food that they raise. They, they've got animals uh, that are grazing on this land and they're eating the, the meat of the animals. Uh, and... Nobody knows what the long-term effects are going to be. And what some of these people are saying is that, well, um, they're poor, for one thing, and the land is very cheap. Uh, people just abandon it wholesale, and uh, so they can buy lots of land very inexpensively. Some feel that they have nowhere else to go. One elderly woman who was interviewed even made the odd comment that, well, even though they might be exposed to fatal radiation, it was better than being bombed or shot in a war, uh, which is a curious juxtaposition of, you know, choices of death. Um, and right. Uh, there was another man interviewed who said, hey, I've been living here now uh, for years with me and my wife, and we're fine. We eat our crops and our animals, and nothing has happened to them 
yet. And uh, I, I think that this does not bode well, that people will develop uh, forms of cancer. There will be birth defects. From a paranormal perspective, Richard, I wonder what's lurking around that landscape. Oh, interesting. Right. How do you mean? Well, whenever you have a disaster like that and mass deaths that result, uh, even if some of them didn't happen right away, just tied to that event, uh, it it creates this heavy thought form um, coalesced energy that could lodge in that landscape, literally in the land itself and the ruins that, that are still there. And there could be all kinds of haunting phenomena going on, which um, due to the the um, nature of the disaster and the, the type of deaths that people endured from radiation poisoning uh, could be quite uh, horrific in terms of, of the haunting presences in the landscape. There could be uh, apparitions of the dead. There could be even mutant forms, uh, phantom forms roaming the landscape. No one's done any research on that yet. I would be very curious about that. Well, no one wants to get close to the scene, uh, but imagine how desperate someone would have to be uh, in order to uh, buy a home and live in, um, you know, next to Chernobyl uh, and, and expose themselves to that deadly radiation. That's a very sad situation. Uh, I want to ask you about recently uh, a number of people have uh, have celebrities have come out and talked about their near-death experiences. Well, some of them, it happened quite a while ago, but it's just being reported uh, within the last few months. And one of them, one of the more high-profile fi- high celebrities who discussed her near-death experience was the late Elizabeth Taylor. I guess she uh, came out uh, on the Oprah Winfrey Show back in 1992. So let's chat a little bit about celebrities' near-death experiences or after-life, after-death experiences. Uh, they do conform to uh, things that many people describe in NDEs. And um, uh, Elizabeth Taylor described seeing, it was uh, during one of her operations, and she had so many operations during the course of her life, and um, she um, went into a tunnel, she saw herself leaving her body, and... Um, she saw her third husband, who was Mike Todd, and she said that she was so happy to see him. Um, and he had died in 1958. Now, her experience happened in the early 60s, uh, one of her famous back surgeries. And uh, she kind of wanted to stay with him, but he told her that she uh, couldn't, that she had to fight to go back. Uh, she had a lot of things she still had to do. And so she uh, returned to her body, and then she woke up. Uh, and she discovered that, that the doctors thought she had actually permanently died, and they had even pronounced her dead. This is uh, very common where if, if someone dies in a hospital setting, the first thing that they become aware of is that they're detached from their body. They're often looking down on the operating scene, watching the medical uh, team around them. Then they start to pull further and further away. They may go through a tunnel. They may not. Uh, and then they have inter- frequently interactions with um, loved ones who are on the other side. And, for example, the um, 
actor, uh, I think he's a comedian, too. Um, Tracy Morgan. That's it, Tracy Morgan. I can't yes. think of his first name. Yes, Saturday Night Live alumnus. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. he meets his father, uh, who died. And oftentimes the person will have the desire to stay. Everything seems so pleasant. They're so happy to to reunite. They want to stay. And his father told him, no, you can't. And he said he even had a conversation with God. And that God told him, he said, your room ain't ready yet. <laughs> I thought that was uh, an amusing way to put it. It's like, you know, your room here here in the afterlife, uh, you can't come here yet. It ain't ready yet. Exactly. And people are often told that they have to go back. Sometimes they're given a choice, but sometimes they're told you can't, you can't stay. You really do have to go back because there are things you haven't uh, done yet. And uh, Jane Seymour, a British actress, uh, what happened to her? She she had kind of a, an anaphylactic, she went into anaphylactic shock or something after re- receiving, um, I guess they tried to administer an antibiotic and it went into her vein instead of her muscle? Uh, yes, and I didn't realize that you could put antibiotics into uh, to muscle, but yes, it sent her into anaphylactic shock. And uh, she was resuscitated. She said that she saw a white light. This is also another common uh, description. And she, too, was detached from her body, looking down. She saw herself uh, in the bedroom with a nurse. And uh, frequently they'll see medical professionals trying to revive the body very Mm. frantically. And uh, she felt very calm about it. Um, she said that afterwards she had a whole new perspective on life. This is a very common change that um, people come back convinced of the afterlife if, if they had any doubts in the past. Uh, they're not afraid of dying anymore, and their values change in life. Um, as she put it, you know, it's uh, the material things aren't important anymore. And she said it's it's not about the yachts and the houses and even in awards like an, an actress might get. Um, she said it's all about love, and that's the important thing, the love that you share with family and friends, the difference you make in the lives of other people. So that's a tremendous shift in value, values that a right. lot of NDE people have. Right. I've read in cases where uh, marriages have broken up as a result of an NDE because, as you say, the character, that person changes so fundamentally, it's like you're, you're living with a different person. In fact, the divorce rate is quite high among NDE experiencers. And uh, for those reasons that they just literally um, become different people and their spouses have a hard time understanding that maybe a plunge into spirituality that that had not been present in the relationship before. Um, They don't, um, they may feel um, sort of materially abandoned because let's say, um, you know, the principal breadwinner in the family uh, doesn't feel a need to go out and, and, you know, make tons of money anymore. It's not about getting the next big house. Uh, They they want to do something more compassionate and humanitarian. I got to ask you quickly. Uh, we're just about out of time here. But this gentleman who took on a bet, he he bet that he could survive twenty days in pitch darkness, in total isolation. He didn't make it. He didn't last the whole twenty days. Why would anyone do that? And what happened? It all revolved around money, and uh, this was with a fellow poker player. 
and they they engage in something called a prop bet, which uh, is is basically it's not during a poker game, but it's something else you challenge somebody to do. It's kind of like to test your resolve and metal. Uh, sort of thing, and so the bet was made. They each put up a hundred thousand dollars that um, this one fellow could last for thirty days in total darkness. And at, at about twenty days, he was still doing very well. And so the other guy who stood to lose a thousand dollars was able to uh, talk him into a buyout uh, of sixty some thousand dollars. And uh, now during this time in darkness. Um, he was given food, but at irregular intervals. They didn't want him to have a sense of a passage of time. Uh, and that uh, that can make a difference in how well you, you weather something. Um, he may have been able to track it, they think, uh, through outside noises. But um, the thing is that this guy was really playing with fire because individuals who have been deprived of light and communication and human contact, if it goes on long enough, they go insane. They even die. Uh, wow. So let's, let's pick to- this up on the other side, Rosemary, because this is this will be a nice segue uh, into uh, black mirror scrying. We'll talk about that as well. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrick. Don't go away. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us. Her website, visionaryliving.com. And uh, we were talking about, I just want to finish up this uh, amazing story. This gentleman who made a bet, $100,000, that he could uh, immerse himself in total isolation, pitch darkness uh, for 30 days. And um, you were saying that he he lasted like 20 days and was doing quite well. You said the risk, though, that someone who uh, does this could risk insanity or even death. How so? Well, for example, uh, in Philadelphia, there was a big prison called Eastern State Penitentiary. And it's closed as a prison now. It's a historical place and very popular with ghost hunters. But... Uh, during uh, during the early days, um, some of the prisoners had severe isolation imposed upon them. This was like a Quaker approach. And they were deprived of human contact. Uh, they could not speak, and uh, they were not spoken to. And while they were not in total darkness, they were their cells were dark. And the belief was, these sentences would go on for some time, like a year or more. Uh, The belief was, uh, and the Quakers were big on silence, of course, and they still practice silence in their religious services. So their attitude was, well, you force somebody into isolation like that, they've got plenty of time to contemplate their bad ways. And this is how they're going to, you know, make the change to rehabilitate themselves. Well, what it was a disaster because uh, depending upon the the fortitude of, of 
of the prisoners, um, some of them didn't last very long. Uh, they had um, psychotic breakdowns, uh, permanent insanity. They became ill. Uh, some of them died. It, it uh, was such a disaster that the program was scrapped after a while. Human beings are not made to uh, be deprived of light, uh, um, communication, and human contact. Now, this fellow who survived the 20 days, he's um, feeling pretty good about it, and he said he was even willing to entertain higher bets to go longer. He said, oh, he thought he could do 40 days. Um, It's playing with fire, uh, and he might be able to um, pull it off once, maybe twice, but uh, it would be at risk to his well-being. Some years ago, I took a trip to Egypt, and it was a, one of these spiritual pilgrimage kind of trips, and we had a mm-hmm. night inside the uh, the Great Pyramid in the King's Chamber. We got to go all through the interior of the pyramid, and then the, the night ended in the King's Chamber, uh, where we had a, you know, kind of a spiritual ritual of rebirth. And part of that was to sit in total darkness for just an hour after the ritual. And when the uh, flashlights were extinguished um, and this total darkness descended, it was scary. Um, because in total darkness, you, can't, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. And so, of course, the, if you keep your eyes open, the eyes will start playing tricks. You start seeing things. Um, you can imagine what somebody in total darkness for days on end could be right. going through. Because and, if the brain is robbed of any external stimuli, it will start manufacturing its own, right? It will. And um, your, your inner demons literally could come out and get projected into the environment. So that hour was one of the longest hours I had uh, to sit in total darkness like that. I was very glad when the lights came on. I can't imagine doing that uh, for 20 days. And so it's it's kind of disturbing to see someone think that it's like no big deal. I, I don't think he realizes what the potential dangers are. Right. I've done the uh, the tranquility tank where you're you're in the dark, but you're floating in a sort of a saline solution, saline solution rather. It's it's quite peaceful, and to do an hour, uh, you know, there's no sound except the dripping water. Um, but I can't imagine doing you know more than an hour of that. Now, this is kind of an interesting segue into black mirror scrying, uh, because the idea of staring into a black mirror for the purposes of divination. First of all, explain. Uh, how that works and 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 uh, what the mirror looks like uh, and, and what its purpose is. Well, black mirror is a piece of glass that's been coated black on the reverse side instead of silvered, and it creates a shiny surface that um, ha- has a dull black look to it, um, and it's been used in occultism for. Um, centuries as a way of contacting the spirit world. And before that, before we had mirrors, uh, people used dark things like bowl, dark bowls filled with water or ink, uh, black stones that were uh, rubbed to be shiny, um, even soot and oil mixed together on the hand. 
people in ancient times discovered that gazing into a shiny surface uh, does something to the consciousness that seems to open the gateways to the spirit world. And you can have contact for prophecy and divination and contact with the dead. So uh, in today's times, the black mirror is, is used primarily as a tool for contacting the dead. It can be used for divination and other kinds of psychic work. And by gazing into it steadily in kind of a, a very unfocused way, uh, it does fatigue the eyes and it does something to the psychic faculty so that your natural psychic ability starts coming forward and you can start having visions, and you can hear things and feel things. If you set your intention to contact the dead uh, and ask to to meet someone, for example, who has passed to the other side, uh, you may be able to have some kind of contact with them, which manifests in various ways. For some people, it's like literally like seeing pictures or even um, movies on the mirror surface itself. And okay, we'll, uh, we'll leave it right there. Rosemary, we'll take a quick time out, come back and continue to delve into the divination, divination technique of black mirror scrying. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Hey, just a reminder, next week on the program, uh, Derek Robinson Robinson uh, will be with me for the full two hours. Uh, he's a, a president of an organization uh, that helps targeted individuals, and he uh, believes he is a long-standing targeted individual. So Derek Robinson, uh, next week on The Conspiracy Show, talking about mind control and uh, surveillance uh, uh, voice to skull technology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All right, uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us. We're talking about a divination technique uh, called black mirror scrying. Uh, Nostradamus used this, did he not? He did. He used a bowl filled with dark liquid, and in some reports, it's a bowl filled with ink, and in other versions, the bowl filled with blood. It probably was ink. And he would stare into it. It was a big bowl, and it was uh, on a tripod. And uh, he would sit in uh, his darkened uh, study and stare into it. And then these visions arose that he recorded in his famous prophecies. Uh, And this is a process that can happen for anyone who gazes into a dark, shiny surface like a, a, a black mirror. And the visions may appear on the surface of the mirror, like you're looking at a television screen, for example. Uh, Or they may see very little in the actual mirror itself, but um, the psychic impressions are seen in, in an interior way, on the mental screen. People may hear messages and hear very distinct voices. Uh, There are external phenomena that can happen as well. Uh, I've had many cases where uh, there have been poltergeist-like effects that break out in a room of 
people scrying, uh, apparitions appear, uh, people feel touched. Uh, it can be for some people a very emotional experience, but uh, it's a technique of opening up natural psychic abilities. And so the mirror itself is, is just a tool. Uh, it activates your psychic ability, and then the results then depend on how an individual gets psychic impressions and information. We should point out, you've written extensively on this subject, and you have a book called The Art of Black Mirror Scrying, and people can uh, order that through your uh, bookshop at visionaryliving.com. Now, have you tried this? Have you have you uh, practiced the art of black mirror scrying, Rosemary? I have for quite some time, Richard. I became interested in, in the black mirrors back in the 1980s, around the late 1980s, after reading accounts of how shiny surfaces were used in uh, divination uh, and occultism um, for contacting the spirit world, and also for developing psychic ability, because uh, if you use one uh, repeatedly, it does sharpen up the uh, the psychic faculty. And then in the 1990s, I became very interested when um, Raymond Moody, who popularized the term near-death experience, he coined the term near-death experience, uh, came out with a book called Reunions. And Dr. Moody had discovered on his own uh, the ancient art of crystal gazing, using a shiny surface uh, to, to contact the spirit world. And uh, he coined the term psychomantium, place of spirit, uh, and felt that using a, a, a black mirror had some therapeutic benefits because he found in experimenting with people that when individuals had contact with the dead and they got some reassuring message or even just the contact itself, it alleviated a lot of their grief and worry about the well-being of loved ones on the other side. And uh, so I took some training from Dr. Moody on his psychomantium uh, technique and process and uh, applied it to my own work that, that I was already doing with black mirrors. And uh, then um, I discovered that just in talking about black mirrors in my lectures and, and workshops that other people were very interested in doing this and learning about it, too. So um, my husband Joe and I started making black mirrors for our classes because I, I couldn't find a good commercial source of them. Uh, and we started teaching other people how to scry, which is um, it's an old Middle English term, which means to discern dimly. And I, I like that term scry because there's a mystery and a power to it. And we've been doing that now for... Oh, about six or seven years uh, on a uh, concerted um, effort. Um, we have um, quite a bit of demand for that, and uh, we've traveled all over the country. Um, we're going to be taking it into England uh, this year as well. Ancient techniques has just been has be, reimagined. There has to be more to it, though, than just staring into... Um, you know, a, a blackened mirror. What is the actual technique? How do you do it? Well, I believe that setting the stage is very important. It's preparing yourself and, and your consciousness for this. The, the biggest obstacle that people have, especially if they're beginners at any kind of psychic work, 
is suspending disbelief because if they have any sort of results at all, their first reaction is going to be, oh, I'm just making this up or that's what I thought would happen or that's what I hoped would happen uh, when in fact they're probably having a genuine experience. So when when we do a workshop and I tell people that if you do this on your own, these are good things to do as well because you have uh, you make all all the uh, factors conducive to entering into this liminal space. It's liminal consciousness, and, and the mirror really acts as a bridge, a bridge between ordinary consciousness and the astral plane and the spirit realm. So uh, it's important to do it in dim light. doesn't matter whether it's day or night. Dim light will fatigue the physical eyes. And uh, I... Uh, I like playing a meditational music in the background, uh, not with lyrics, just music, and um, um, doing um, a meditation uh, ritual before I begin um, of contemplating what I'm about to do, setting my intention. It's important to have a focus and an intention to do any kind of, of psychic work. Now, when we do a workshop, uh, I do guide people through a meditation process and I use some light hypnosis techniques to get people relaxed uh, and so uh, they try and get their busy brain out of the way. Uh, however, the mirror journey itself is uniquely personal and so uh, I coach people on how to look into the mirror. You want to look in a very soft, unfocused way. You kind of let your gaze fall into the mirror. You don't want to see a reflection in it. And even though it's black, uh, it, it is uh, reflective, and you position it so that you're seeing as little as possible in the environment, so that it's more like a blank slate, and that this then becomes a doorway to something else. And so you allow that doorway to open, and um, then you wait. Um, you don't try to force anything. Uh, you you open up the door, you ask for some uh, contact with a particular person. Some people like to have it open, like, is there anybody there who can, can come and, and meet with me and wait for things to happen? And for some people, they happen very quickly, and for other people, not. Um, people who have experience in psychic work and meditation usually get faster results than people who don't. But we've had uh, beginners who've never done any sort of work like that have uh, pretty phenomenal results. And we're just about uh, just about out of oh. sorry, we're just about out of time. I just wanted to ask you. So, have you ever had anyone from the other side, perhaps a, a dearly departed, a relative, or so forth, come through uh, while Black Mirror is crying? Oh yes. Uh, many times. Um, I've had um, my father and my mother and my grandmother come through. Um, and most of the people in, in the workshops, in the sharing that we do afterwards, will report contact as well. And some of it's unexpected. It's not the person they ask for, but somebody else who winds up being very significant to them uh, shows up. And they have uh, some kind of meaningful contact, even with pets. And some, that's ah. what some people want sometimes, is to connect with their pets on the other side. Absolutely. Rosemary, we'll have to meet again on the other side. Uh, next month, we'll, uh, we'll do it all over again. It's a date. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. 
Rosemary Ellen Guiley, VisionaryLiving.com. All right. Back next week with a brand new program. And it'll be coming to you live from my little studio beneath the stairs. Hope you'll be along for that ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Or at least up the stairs. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.